When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, it's Josh. Hi, and it's Joe. And you're about to listen to another great episode of the movies that made me. Uh, just want to give you a heads up. Many of the movies. Occasionally, we'll talk about something that's pretty obscure and has never come out on video. Most of the movies we talk about on the show are available at MoviesUnlimited.com, which is the movie collector's website. Yeah, don't waste your time streaming or looking for your favorites on TV. You can own them. Physical media, babies. Yes, go to the TrailersFromHell.com website. Click the Movies Unlimited banner on the website and you can buy your favorites from them or go right to MoviesUnlimited.com. Shipping is always free on orders over $50. Movies, movies, movies. This is The Movies That Made Me with your hosts, Josh Olson, and Joe Dante. Unlike you, I like to warn people. They want a bad mouth. Everybody knows it's fair game. Anything they say as soon as the computer goes on. That's right. That's right. Um, no, I, I am so, I'm not going to give you any kind of introduction because that would be ridiculous. But, but. Um, <laughs> he, he does I, like to hear it though. He what? He does like to hear it. He likes to hear what? Introductions. Well, you uh, know, listed the awards and things. Praise. I just, you know, I just yeah. for, for me, and I apologize. I've had people say things like this to me and I know there's that, that aspect of like, oh, when you were a kid, huh? But <laughs> I got to say, as, as a kid, and not to knock Saturday Night Live, which was a great show, and I'm talking sort of the original generation of it. We, we would all um, gleefully watch SNL with the full and certain knowledge that the payoff was at one o'clock in the morning, because we got it in Philadelphia, uh, we got SCTV. And my God, I, I can't even begin to um, account for the impact and the damage you have done to my brain. <laughs> <clears throat> over the years it is Why, um, thank you uh you know thank you i mean really 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 thank you uh um god and i was trying to buy i have an ed grimley doll somewhere too uh, <laughs> well now it's getting sick you know it's yeah, it's, yeah and I, it I, pins in it. I got i got married a while back and my wife my wife made me sort of put away some of that stuff so oh, no uh, rush <laughs> it's under his pillow <laughs> it's under my pillow exactly well he stopped talking he stops talking that was, he like, probably he ran down. Yeah, I get. Well, he started. Yeah, he started it did, and it slowed down, and it did okay. It was just it got really depraved. You would play it. It was like we should put it in a horror film. But anyway, our guest. Um, I said I wouldn't introduce him, and I guess I'm introducing him. But my God, we we have uh, we have a fellow who did a movie with Joe Dante once. How about that? Is that a good? How about that? Is, yeah, that, a, is that a good introduction? That's a that's a large roster, but okay. It's, uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> and it was amazing. It was amazing the number of representatives we had to go through just to get him to consider coming on the show. But uh, well, he's a he's a big star. I, I I am a big star. And Corey Feldman canceled. So between the two, <laughs> <laughs> there was an opening. Uh, it's it's God. We are we are. I'm I'm okay. So I'm going to turn that part off because I'm going to turn into Chris Farley doing the. Um, <laughs> Always a, remember, always a frightening remember, problem. Remember, remember the time when you did the Robin Williams impression on it? Oh, that, was, that was so good. That was so good. Um, anyway, uh, Martin, thank you so much. Pleasure, Josh. For being with us. Uh, thank you. It's, it's, a, it's a real thrill if I haven't communicated that. Um, you guys saw each other recently, right? You just did a... Uh, we did uh, the Dennis... What is it called? The Dennis podcast. The Dennis... The, uh, it's got a funny title. With the Dennis Dennisance. Renaissance. That's oh, the it. Dennis Renaissance. That's yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. Since he's not here, can we acknowledge that our podcast title is better? <laughs> I don't even know quite know where to go to find his podcast, but uh, I guess if you want to find podcasts, you can find them. You can always find them. You can always find a podcast, Joe. Uh, times like this, the one thing that is certain. You that's can true. Always, always find a podcast. Um, uh, Martin, while I've got you as as someone who was also aware, how how was and we don't normally talk about your work, but uh, working with Joe is okay. Um, I remember that shoot um, as being totally fantastic, loose, fun. I think we laughed a great deal on the set, which I think is important. You know, to God forbid, have a happy set. Uh, Dennis and I got along fantastically. He fell in love with Meg, as we all did. And... Um, I just remember it as a great, we shot in San Francisco, we shot here. I remember it as fun and creative and uh, what do you think, Joe? I, this, I, I often tell people that I don't think I ever had more fun yeah. in a movie set. And a lot of it was due to, uh, <laughs> to your dichotomy between takes. Um, and, what exactly does that mean? You might start out doing a character in one, and then you say, Well, I have an idea, let, let, let me do one more. And so you do one more, and then we and then you put them all together, and you see take one, and then you see take nine, and you go, Is this the same movie? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's called giving you a range, it's true, and it was That's great in the editing room, and it was movie you know, out. I'm just there to give you some. Colors for the palette. That's right. And it all cut together great. And I think it's... No, no, truthfully, I work with, um, you know, a wide range of actors, of uh, directors, different qualities. But I always found that even if you were working with a director that you knew was going to screw it up, you know, <laughs> you still, if you gave this wide range of takes to the director, you kind of went, I did my job. <laughs> it's up to them to... It's up to them to destroy it, you know, but uh, not, not in the case of Joe. No, Joe, I thought that that film, um, it was amazing when I finally saw that film. I wasn't at the first L.A. screening. I saw it in Toronto at a screening. Uh, or maybe it was Austin, Texas. I don't know. But I do know that I, I just thought, wow, I'm adoring this film from beginning to end, which is rare, especially if you're watching yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Well, it's one of my favorites, and uh, I had a great time. Yeah, and, um, yeah it's just you have a great adored, deal to do with it. It's adored. Uh, yeah, and rightly so. And won the Oscar, by the way. 
That's right. Um, I, only, I, I, I seem to remember that. Yeah. The only Oscar I am likely to ever get close to was the no. Oscar that was won for that movie. <laughs> no. Oh, what did it win? A, what did it win? And when the effects? Was, oh, effects. oh, okay. I thought he was referring to the the best picture snafu when we were being. Uh, no. Because uh, you were have. definitely robbed. You were robbed yeah, we, we didn't. We didn't have one where they announced us incorrectly. That would have been nice. Uh, <laughs> 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 they got Warren and Warren and, uh, and Faye up there. They would have looked a lot younger. Oh, that a good move. <laughs> Great. Well, um, Martin, again, thank you for, for joining us. We want to, um, obviously you're a movie guy because um, you've done so many incredible, great movie pastiches over the years. You'd have to have seen a few of them, I would imagine. I love the movies my whole life. What? Uh, yeah. Do you want to tell us about some of the ones that sort of... Um, um... Well, I guess, you know, um, my favorite films would be a wide array, you know, from To Kill a Mockingbird to Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. Uh, uh, Do you want to run us through kind of chronologically, maybe, as you saw them on your sort of... Well, I, I, The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad was really big when uh, I was eight. So ah. it was like about five people had birthdays where the premise was you went to the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. <laughs> and I'd already seen The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, Kathy Grant, of course, later married to Crosby. And um, it was, I don't know, I just, I loved that. Interestingly enough, when it came to Game of Thrones and everything, I wasn't into it. And I thought, oh, I know what it was, I turned 11. So I moved on to scripts and stories. And, mm -hmm. But I would say I've never seen On the Waterfront and not Tear Up. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird's message is genius. and it's. The scope. I think Terms of Endearment is kind of a perfect movie. Well, I want to. I want to. I want to get into some of these with you more than. Yeah. Um, um, but can can we go back when when you saw uh, Sinbad? Were you? Um, I the, yes. I was eight. At eight. You were eight. <laughs> uh, was there was there a kind of advantage to going off to a party having seen it and people people didn't know you had seen it? Was that the thing or? No 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 no. no. You okay. bragged that you'd seen. It. It was hip to have seen Sinbad many, many times. People used to have, uh, you know, movie parties for their kids for, uh, for their birthdays. And right. I remember, right. I remember being taken by my friend Randy Crawford and his mother and all the guests to the local theater to see Moby Dick for his yeah, exactly. uh, his birthday. That's what I'm yeah, it was a, a cheap way to throw a party. Yeah, yeah. and it, you know, it was. I used to go to the movies every Saturday. Me too. And do you remember? Do you remember the first time you saw it? Were you with? Was it your parents? Was it a party? Was oh, the first time I saw uh, Sinbad, Sinbad was, yeah. I was with my brothers. Uh huh. And we they're... stood in line at the Palace Theater in Hamilton. Long line because it wasn't Cineplex, so you had to. You Just know, one theater. And Just one screen. Yeah. And crazy uh, time. Remember, a guy gave my brother twenty bucks or ten, whatever it was back then, to because we were way in line to um, buy him tickets as well. And then we bought a lot of, um, you know, uh, chocolate and, and, and popcorn. But I just remembered it being one of the great movies. You know, I, strangely enough, I miss those days. Of, I even remember when The Exorcist, which I also adore, came out in 74, I guess. And it was still, there was so much hype around that film. You know, people were being vomiting in the balcony, but you'd <laughs> have to stand in line for an hour 20 in the cold in Toronto. Right. 
right. Because it was one big screen. But uh, it was worth it. It, 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 it amped it up. You know. Did you see yeah. King Kong before you saw Separate Voyages in bed? Um, I would have, I mean, Sinbad was in color. We didn't have a color TV set. King Kong's not in color. Um, but yes, I would have seen that on, I mean, we got, I think we had a television when I was four, so I'm sure I saw Sinbad. There weren't that many stations. That was the genius of being a kid in the fifties, like a little kid and in the sixties, because to, to change the station, first of all, there were only seven stations. And secondly, you had to walk across the room. So you'd say, oh, let me commit to this. Uh, let's see, Clifton Webb and Executive Suite. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. That's such a, it's such a, and I, I, there hasn't been a lot of writing on it yet. I'm sure there will be, but just the cultural shift that uh, remote controls and 400 channels have made. Yeah, well, I, how I remember the, possibly make uh, a, a, a you know, create a decision in your mind about what to watch in three seconds. And that's what we do. Yeah. 999 stations in the remote. Yeah. No, it's, it's, you had very few choices and it was a big deal to change your mind. But the introduction of the remote not only changed uh, the way that we changed the channel, but it also changed the way they programmed things because the least objectionable program, you know, you, you try, you try to get a lead in. And then yeah. you try to make sure that the people who were watching the popular show that was just on would stick around and watch your show. And so right. they, 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 as they, as they still do today, you know, they, when one show's over, they immediately go to the next show because they don't want you to change the channel. But now there's like, you know, 800 channels, you know, and, and they're all religious. So it, it's how many, how many channels are there really, you know, I mean, everybody still watches the same seven channels, even though they've got 99. It is odd, isn't it? It is odd that you do go back to the exact same stations. That you yeah, it's like the radio. You know, you have your stations in the car and you, you, you program the ones that you like and you skip all the ones that are in a different language, <laughs> which is most of them. <laughs> Although I also find now with apps that a lot of times I come to a, a show or a movie and I don't even know what I'm watching it on. You know, I watched something on something called Pop the other day. Uh, I don't know what pop is. I don't know if you can get it on your television. It was on my Apple. Oh, TV. pop is huge now. And pop is, <laughs> but truthfully, pop is the home of Shit's Creek, which is now for 15 Emmys. So there you, you go. Oh, is, is that what it's? Okay, because we're watching, that's it. We're watching Shit's Creek on, that's right. Oh. No, we are coming to it late. We're watching it on Netflix. It opens every time. That's right. Oh, okay. oh, and I'm going, what the hell is pop? Okay, so pop is, got it. Great. <laughs> and where where did where did you see like if I was watching Shit's Creek when it first started, where would I be watching it? Was it on? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many times to tell you, John. <laughs> <laughs> so just turn your dial to pop. Um, no, and and let it go. I okay. <laughs> I'm completely apropos of nothing, but since you yeah. brought the show, we also yeah. realized last night that the motel uh, that Shit's Creek is set in is the same motel that opens a history of violence. So I'm very, very touched and moved. Move. Yeah, yeah. Oh. It's, it's, uh, we're looking at it like, that looks familiar. I then looked it up, but um, right. Well, what's, what's next? Give us, give us another. But did you watch, did oh. you watch a lot of comedies when you were a kid? Um, <clears throat> I did, you know, it was interesting because again, I grew up in a home with one big television and there weren't eight televisions. So, 
I would watch what my parents wanted to watch. And suddenly I'm 11 and I find Malcolm Mugridge and the Jack Carr show just hysterical because it's either that or bed. And then you go, who is this guy, Oscar Levant? I like him. He's still, <laughs> but I like him. And, um, but I watched, uh, well, I love Dick Van Dyke. I love Jerry Lewis. I love Laurel and Hardy. Obsessed with Abbott and Costello. So yeah, a lot of comedy. Love the Marx Brothers, but Harpo more than the others. Um, but generally, um, that the comedy seemed to come more from television. Mm -hmm. And the movies was tended to be more the Ten Commandments, you know, that thing. Still is. And sorry, what? It still is a little bit where now more than ever spectacles are why you go to a movie theater. Sure. And we went to a movie theater. Sure, sure. But oh, that's yeah. a pastime. That's a pastime that I yeah, think we, really. we all miss. That and going to the Turkish steam at night. It's all gone. <laughs> <laughs> it will be back. It will be back. Uh, In our lifetime, hopefully. That, yeah. that would be that would be a lot. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Um, yeah, well, take us, take us to another, uh, another, another movie on your list. Oh, I don't know. Well, you mentioned you mentioned uh, on the waterfront. Um, I mean, is that where? Uh, do you remember where you saw that first? And oh, television. I would have seen that on television. Okay, and so you were you were a kid. Yeah, I mean, I loved um, a lot of movies. I watched a lot of movies. I loved uh, watching stories. I remember uh, I was five or six, five maybe. And my um, parents heard me crying uh, from the living room. And they ran in. They thought I'd fallen. I was watching, uh, you know, Cornell Wilde get consumption in a, fair, a song to remember, you know. <laughs> and um, so even as a kid, I was swept into the, the world of what a film could provide. So, so you seem to have a sentimental streak. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a... Well, um, I guess so. I mean, I wasn't... I'm trying to think when I wasn't crying. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, yes, I was crying in that. Always, always. At what point... I'm interested, did, did the... Um, it's always a hard question to ask and to answer, because there's no, a lot of people don't have a specific answer, but was there a moment where you kind of went... I want to get into this and I want to get into the funny part of it. And because so much of, of uh, what you have done has been kind of while mocking this stuff also very much show your love for it as well. There's, there's your, your. Oh, I definitely, I definitely loved it. It didn't, I growing up in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, it didn't seem like a realistic option. Right. So, I mean, I went into pre-meds not because I cared about science. I realized it because I was a fan of Richard Chamberlain's work. And, um, <laughs> And that's not enough to keep you, you know, to make it resident. So I switched. But 
Um, I would say that the none of it seemed. I mean, listen, I had imaginary television shows. I had imaginary film careers. I mean, I I'd be in the back of a bus, and, you know, the windows are like that, and I pretend I was waving from a private plane. I had lots of fantasies. I wasn't a normal child, but it, it never. I never said, "Oh, then I must act on it," because again, it seemed unrealistic. So, but but was the um, at some point did you start to you know when did you start kind of I don't want to say making fun because you're not making fun but but you're kind of illustrating your love of this stuff through humor. Well, I think I think that um, a satire can often come from usually if someone can impersonate someone, it's because they started out watching them and loving them. Yeah, uh, they wouldn't have paid as much attention. Yes, had they. Um, not love them but you also especially if you're a satirist or even if you're al hirschfeld you see the warts on someone and like i always thought in sctv when i uh, i remember doing jerry lewis at the premise jerry lewis live at the champs elysees by martin scorsese that's right and, and uh, but it was very important to me i mean there was a section where i have jerry in a sailor's outfit lecturing studio head but i also Felt it was important to show Jerry really funny, yeah. and you know, doing the big wah with the lighter and running around, um, and sincerely trying to get laughs because if you didn't show both sides, um, it wasn't a valid, uh, you know, impersonation. And certainly, um, uh, you you how do you know how to do something? You love them. You studied them. You're fascinated. And how did what did what did Jerry think of that? Well, in 1990, I interviewed Jerry uh, for um, they were releasing the Colgate Comedy Hours, Martin Lewis. That's yeah. Um, on DVD and Disney owned them. And Jeff Katzenberg, the time running business, said, "I want you to interview Jerry." And I was nervous about it because I had done Jerry. Um, I did Jerry scenes from An Idiot's Marriage with yes. Lewis and Bergman, and. Um, Anyway, he was, couldn't have been sweeter, couldn't have been nicer. At one point, about an hour, we talked for two hours, because cameras rolled, and they were going to cut it up. And he said um, something about SCTV, and he said, didn't you do me on the telethon? And I went, no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't do you in the telethon. I did you a live from the Champs-Élysées, and he went, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Good enough. Good enough. Yeah. Those um, comedy hours, you know, are the, um, I mean, I'm old enough to have seen them when they were live and, on TV. And uh, in my recollection, that's the one place you can go to see what their nightclub act was kind of. Yes, like. absolutely correct. Because they would, always, they would always run out. The show would always end uh, with them. You know, they had gone way over time and they would have to like shovel or drop things or whatever. And it was because they did the same shtick that they did in the nightclubs, which is a lot of it was just made up and just, you know, running out in the audience and going behind the camera and all that, all that stuff that was um, considered wacky, but is now considered meta. Yeah, um, yeah. And it was, and it was, it was, it was exciting. I mean, that's one of the reasons that they became so big is that they were different and they were just, I, 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 I guess the Trumps of their age in terms of just people saying, well, there's something I haven't seen. This is different. This is, you know, this is breaking the rules. This, this must be something worth following. Uh, and, and then, of course, in the movies, you know, they got, they did movies and they were homogenized and they weren't, 
the same as they were. They were still good, and I was still a big fan, and I, I cried when they broke up. I mean, it was like, I was horrified. It was the worst thing ever. It's like my parents divorcing. Uh, but uh, but well, I, Lucy and Desi must have killed you. No, I didn't care about that. I, I, <laughs> Dean and Jerry, I was, I, they, they were mated for life to me. I didn't, and I, it didn't occur to me until later that the source of some of the comedy was the tension. Uh, between them, right. and that that was true also in, in late Abbott and Costello. Uh, that 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 the source of the tension between the two of them was actually one of the reasons why it was so funny. Um, right. But um, you know, I I I, I think to to have seen them live in a nightclub must have really been quite a an experience. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. I want to hear about the Kill a Mockingbird too. Like, what's your um, how, how did that oh, affect I've you? Seen and, that when I was twelve. Um, you know, it was Gregory Peck. It was also kids. It was the, it's great shooting of kids. Robert Mulligan. It's, it's a fantastic representation of what childhood would, was like, especially, uh, from that era, uh, in Georgia. It's, it's a remarkable film that still completely holds up. And it was all shot on the back lot. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I find art fascinating, obviously, of why certain things hold up and certain things don't. But I also find comedy even more fascinating because it's astounding how I, I can see a W.C. Fields bank deck, and I think it stands up as strong as it did the day it was released. But you can see Eddie Cantor, who was a huge star, and there's no shelf life there, you know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Why? So why are certain things, why do they um, stay with you? What sort of perverse honesty are they hitting? Some Like It Hot is another film that I can see, mm-hmm. I've seen a hundred times, as Annie Hall, you know. Well, they're, they're um, oh, yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I always, I mean, thankfully it's not my, it's not my profession, so it's more of a kind of academic curiosity. But yeah, it's why is... You know, I find old Bob and Ray stuff to be screamingly funny to this day. Right. And, and there's stuff that, well, by the way, and again, because you, I hope it's all right to say this because you've, you've done time on both shows, but if I go back to old Saturday Night Lives, I find them interesting from a kind of cultural standpoint more than um, cracking me up. And then I throw on some SCTVs and I tend to die laughing. And I think some of it. That's, but the, the SCTV was, SCTV was, was conceptual. That was yeah, what was great yeah. about it. Because you're not, no you're not making fun of what happened last week. It had no audience. And uh, so that the, the people who determined what was funny were the cast. Right. And um, listen, on SNL, you could have a scene that you thought would kill an address at bombs, and it doesn't matter if everyone likes it, it's gone. Right. You, know? you can't help but you're doing a live show with an audience around, and if something isn't getting a laugh, it doesn't matter if it's high concept. And SCTV, you put it on because you liked it, and then it would find its audience. You know? And also there was, no, there was no audience, right? Right. That was the huge Yeah, thing, and you also didn't have to tap into what happened this past week so that you could... Right. And also, I mean, the most prolific writer in that cast was Eugene Levy. But I remember we were writing in L.A. at one point. I think it was the last season we did SCTV. And we were going to write for six weeks and then shoot for six weeks right for six weeks and first couple of weeks he didn't have an idea in his head but 
because now in SNL, that would kill you. You know, you can yeah. do Saturday night, but if by Tuesday night, the night before the Wednesday read-through, you don't have any ideas, you're dead. He made up in his last, next, next four weeks, he made up for the first two weeks and then some. But there was just an easier going quality. Everyone knew each other um, for a long time. John Candy, I'd met 10 years before I joined SCTV. But it's just, yeah, but it's still, it's fascinating why some stuff, um, and I, I, think, no, I, think, no. I think timeliness has something to do with it, because if you, if you write the funniest pastiche of something that happened in the news yesterday, 20 years from now, it's not going to have the weight of, you know, you guys doing a parody of the Oscar, which was at that point a 20-year-old movie. But also SCTV benefited from the fact that the, the, the framing story kind of was the fact that it was a network. Right. Uh, Edith Prickley was running this network and all these people were, were working there as part of the network and Count Floyd and all these characters came from the fact that this is, this is a show we're putting on. And you can right. always and then, fall and back then on And also that. because there were t- movie of the weeks, you could then satirize. Yeah, anything. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Airhead. Instead of yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or some favorite movie from your childhood. Which right. Gives it that for you. Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's talk about comedy because I, I, Annie Hall, you must've seen, you were now an adult. I'm, I mean, I'm, yes, of course you were. Um, and, yeah. and you saw it in a the theater, I'm assuming. 28 years and, old. And uh, yeah. yeah. What was, what was that? Cause as a, as a, as a child at the time, I, I remember being just dismayed that he wasn't being as ridiculous as you know, he had been. And, you know, many, many years later, I went back to the film and went, oh, shit. Oh, it's actually brilliant. You want, you want him to do the, like, the early funny ones? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> 10 or whatever the hell it is. You know, I, yeah. want, I want sleeper. You want bananas. I want, I want bananas, <laughs> yeah. Like, what is this shit relationship? Ah, the kissing, the kissing. But, no, but, I think that's a pretty perfect movie. And it's yeah. amazing um, how it doesn't worry about, you know, linear storytelling. It's all over the place. And... Woody holds it together with that voiceover, which I believe was put in afterwards. Yeah, the, you know, the, it was when it was shot as an anhedonia. Um, right. Uh, it, it was it, the footage was endless. It was voluminous. I mean, there was a lot, a lot, a lot of footage, like hours and hours of it. And what we see is, I, I think Ralph Rosenblum uh, was the editor. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we see is a is a sort of a, a, a condensation of what I guess the rest. The, there are whole characters that aren't in the movie. Uh, you know, it, it, it's like, because, you know, that's, he, he idolized Chaplin and Chaplin would, you know, he would, he would, he'd shut down if he couldn't have, it didn't have a good idea. So, oh, just everybody go home and I'll come back when I figure out what I want to do. That's how he made city life. Right. Uh, and I think that's, uh, I, I think Woody always uh, had that in mind when he was making a picture is like, he, he would fire people. He fired some famous actors and would hire other people and then reshoot the movie. Uh, and uh, yes, he did that with September, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. yeah, with the entire cast, right? Yeah. Yeah. But what was because that was a, a groundbreaker for him. I mean, what was it like seeing that in a theater? Because obviously, I mean, I can't imagine you were not already a Woody Allen. You know, I mean, I was now uh, in. I was now an actor. I was twenty-eight. I was in Second City, Toronto, stage, and. Um, I thought it was a miracle. I thought Woody Allen was a genius of geniuses. And um, I think I probably saw it more than once because I tended to do it and I fell in love with the movie. And was amazed that, you know, you could just see that script and it was just all jokes. Yeah. <laughs> just jokes. 
And yet Diane won the Oscar. Yeah. And, and it's got an emotional center too, in spite of all that, or because of that, all that, I guess. But um, yeah, it's it's not, a, she's spectacular. Yeah. Oh, I think I think for the Marshall McLuhan scene alone, it will it will stand the test of time. <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> nothing of my work. <laughs> that alone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fantastic. And then to to a more traditional, I guess is it yes, a slightly more traditional comedy. You mentioned some like it hot, um, which is a movie that uh, it always amazes me when I see it. That thing's like two hours and five minutes long, which is theoretically. No, Inner Space is two hours. And I, and I was, I was, de- I was adamant it saying, yes, I do. It, I, two hour comedies don't work. We guys got to make it shorter. It. We tried to make it shorter, but we couldn't. It was all, we just. Well, there was a lot it. of story going on there. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff yeah. happening. I, I really don't. I hate blowing uh, uh, smoke up anyone's ass, especially, especially, oh, on, especially on a talk show, especially with a member from, of SETV here. But um, <laughs> the, uh, we just watched it and I honestly, I didn't look at the running time because it's a Joe Dante movie and they're always 90 minutes long. And it didn't occur to me that you had violated that rule with this thing. It just, it just zips along. I didn't do it on purpose. Um, wow. <laughs> I think all my favorite comedies are like 75 minutes long. No, it, it works. It works. But, but yeah, something like it hot is, is like two hours and five minutes long. And same thing. Yeah. It just, it just whips along at this incredible pace. Um, and I've, I've, uh, uh, seen it with an audience uh, in the last couple of years, and it just it plays just as well as it did the first time I saw. Yeah. No, it, it plays great, even though the it, it, and it's not dependent on knowing who like Joey Brown is is a famous comedian. You know, you don't, yeah. you don't need to right. know that. Or George from, Raft is a famous, right. Yes, for, and, for a modern audience, they just accept these people as yeah. sort of well. That's, that's or Pat O'Brien. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for uh, for those of us who know, it's an extra added layer. But right. uh, when uh, when whenever Tony Curtis speaks as uh, uh, his female alter ego, you know it, it's Paul Frees's voice. And oh, really? You, if you catch on to that, uh, it you it, it, you can watch the entire whole movie just again, just to spot the places where they dubbed for Tony. Uh, I don't know what his voice really was like when he was doing it, but apparently Billy didn't think it would would work, and so yeah, so they he got Frees, who often worked for him, uh, to come in and. and uh, well, also, what's amazing for that era is it somehow manages all the. I mean, you'd fully expect a film from that era about two men in drag for you know an hour and a half of its running time to to fall prey to all sorts of uh, politically incorrect uh, behavior, and yet it never. And yet, it never and yet, does. there's no disclaimer on the front of it. Yeah, I know. I mean, it never, it never does, and, and it has that lovely ending, which is yeah. like, are you kidding me? For that time, the, you know, nobody's perfect. I mean, it's. Um, well, that someone told me about that, and it might have even been Tony Curtis because I know his daughter Jamie Lee, and it seemed that that was the line that they always thought we will replace. <laughs> and that's okay for now, but we can't really end the film that way. And oh, then fantastic. like, wait a second, sometimes, you know, I would I would love to have heard their attempts to come up with a better line than that. Yeah. Like <laughs> it was pretty uh, racy for 59. Yeah. Are you pretty racy? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an ast- <laughs> but it's so right for the film and it's so fucking funny that, that, yeah. uh, um, also, I guess if you end a movie on that and people have loved it, they'll, uh, even, even if you've, even if you've disrupted their worldview a little, they'll forgive you. 
But um, yeah. And there's the kind of film that you feel that you know, or you and your brother know, that no one else knows. And then you, you tend to, as you get older, love that film too. So when you start collecting laser discs or something, that's the one you try to find. For me, it was films like, you know, The Harder They Fall with Bogart and Rod Steiger. Oh, yeah. That's great. Yes. That's yes. Bogart's last movie. Is that his last film? Yeah. Last yeah. movie. He knew he, was, he knew he was dying of cancer when he made it. Although he, he seems perfect and looks great. No, he's quite good in it. Yeah. But it's, a, it's one, of the best, one of the best fight movies, I think. I think it's oh, my God. Yeah. I want my money, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> were, you a, were you a big Laserdisc guy? Back in the, uh, yes, had them all. What, they don't what play you, now. What did you do with them? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I was literally the other day during pandemic, cleaning out my garage and thought, okay, I'm going to start throwing these out. Uh. <laughs> I have a lady machine somewhere, but I'm not going to use it. I'm not going to watch it. Uh, I, bad, the bad news is that actually there's this thing called laser rot, and uh, most of them won't play now. Oh, really? It has to do with the glue that they use to put it together. And uh, they'll... They'll, they'll play for a little bit and then they'll go back to the beginning or they'll just freeze. Uh, so they, they really aren't, they, and which is, it's sad only in that uh, some of the commentary tracks on those things are, are not, the people are gone and they never did them again for right. Oh, they must be able to, they must have a process where you can just go. Uh, apparently not. Really? Well, people have been bumping them onto YouTube and so forth. Like you can find John Sturge's um, Bad Day at Black Rock on YouTube, which is an amazing commentary. It's sort of like film school in an hour and 45. Really? Yeah. But we should we should send him uh, uh, the website. Joe's website, Trailers from Hell, has um, merch, and they have a T-shirt that says, "I have that movie on Laserdisc." <laughs> <laughs> we should we should send Marty one. Um, but but uh, yeah. So um, I also I like I, the one thing that drove me nuts though with those was the disc flip. Even when you had the good players that did it automatically, there was still that that. Uh, so many, so many companies did not invest the time to have somebody actually watch the films and come up with clever places to put them so you'd have like flips in the middle of a sea. Right. Well, they probably just use reel changes. You know, uh, whenever the reel was over, they would just flip it. Sometimes. The Reservoir Dogs one had the worst disc flip in history. It was literally in the middle of dialogue. It's like, <laughs> what, the, what the hell are you doing? And if you had to get up and change it yourself, uh, awful, yeah. awful. Um, but uh, what are what are some of the others there that uh, on your on your list? On my list, um, well, you know, I mean, there's a million films. I don't know. There's Chandra's list. There's <laughs> you got any more Billy Wilder's on there? Yeah, yeah. There's 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 uh, Kiss Me Stupid. Under in the grass. There's certain films that you start. And you say, I'm just going to keep watching, even though I've seen it so many times, you know. And then there are other films. What I've been doing, a part of the thing I've been doing pandemic is going to the internet and going like, best films of uh, the 40s. Mm. And then you go down the list and say, now, wait a second, I haven't seen, you know, the Oxbow incident or whatever that film is. Um, so... You've been catching up. Yeah. And I've been, I've been, it, it's been great to, to, you know, uh, what was the film I just, uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Beautiful, Lana Turner. The Bad and The Beautiful. The Bad and The Beautiful. Bad and The Beautiful. 
Although there's a, I had never seen up. that. I'd never seen that movie. I mean, this is an amazing experience. No, it's a great movie. Yeah, one of the great Hollywood movies. I had never seen Ben Hur until a month. Oh wow! You know, that what really, is that that what really is, only works on. Not, a, no, we say not Ben Hur, Spartacus. But that really only works on a big screen. Well, yeah, well, I have a screening room, and I've saved. I was left money, and I've made money. <laughs> <laughs> Say, I bet he's got a large TV, Joe. I think it's okay. Yeah, um, I'm a, it's on a watch, man. I, I'm retro. What uh, What did you What did you see a Spartacus as a first timer? What was that like? Um, it was. It was. It wasn't. I. It wasn't. You know. It didn't kill me. Kill me. I gotta admit. You know, but I come to it late. So when you come to a, a biblical movie. From the early 60s late you sometimes see the flaws <laughs> sometimes i mean when you see when i see the ten commandments and Ann baxter come over here moses you know you don't judge it you just say oh i remember seeing it when i was eight right and you go back to that place yeah, exactly. um yeah no because i would I'd be interested it's like i'm always interested in the movie you know something like that the movie that ran in your head that that for however many years when people said Spartacus, what did you think Spartacus was and how did it match up to what it actually was? Well, I'd seen clips from it, you know, Kirk Douglas and then that yes. in fighting. Um, and Olivier <laughs> Fabulous, uh, Charles Lawton, anything he's in, mm. brilliant. Oh, that's another film that scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. Um, uh, hold on, I'll get it too. Night, Night of the Hunter. Night of the Hunter, thank you. Yes. Yes. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Did you see it at a kitty matinee? I saw it at a kitty matinee. I saw it at a kitty matinee. Seriously? Why did they want to run these? No, no, no. I saw it with my family. You know, there are certain things. Our family used to see lots of movies. I remember uh, in 1957 hearing my parents argue on whether I should see Diary of Anne Frank. <laughs> And my mother saying he's too young, and my father saying, I think it's important because he was Irish. I think it's important he should know. And I it's like haunted by the sound of those those sirens coming, you know. Uh, but kind of glad I did. But uh, but anyway, we saw um the uh, Robert Mitchum film, Night of the Hunter, as a yeah. fan. That must have been a cheery evening. Absolutely. <laughs> No, it's so good. I'm amazed that it wasn't a hit. It was kind of a bomb. I think. It was. It was a bomb, and it was. It was just too dark. I just don't think. And all the, the ad campaign was pretty lousy. But um, I don't think people just know knew what to make of it. You know. And he never directed again. Well, uh, it, it turns out Lillian Gitch saves them. Mitchum gets it. Mm -hmm. It's not that dark. He does cut uh, Shelley Winter's neck open. <laughs> There's that. Yeah. <laughs> who is the kid's mother? I'm, All right, but, it's dark. But as as a kid, too, were you? Because it's such an interesting style to that film, too. It's it's so it's so directed. Are you? I don't think as a kid I paid attention to that. Um, I mean, do you think it's having an effect on you as well? Are you kind of noticing that this film looks different? Well, it's got way? kids. It's got kids. Or is it just so like, you immediately yeah, identify with kids, the kids? Like, it's, mocking, it's with kids, right? Kids. Chase being chased by the boogeyman who right. doesn't sleep. In both those pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Um, but I'm just, yeah, because I feel like there were movies like that when I was a kid where I couldn't quite tell you why, but there was something about them that was clearly different. And then you grow up and you look at it and you go, oh, because it was, you know, so incredibly cinematic in a way that a lot of movies aren't. But but I was not able to enunciate that as a child. You just knew you were in the presence of something, you know, weird and different. Well, yeah. when you when you go to the, when you go to the kitty matinee and you see ten cartoons and Night of the Hunter, it's uh, it's it's quite a <laughs> quite a uh, quite an evening you have when you go home. Yes, I can I can imagine. Um, uh, how about that? I'm I'm going to prompt you, Martin, because because I got this list here, uh, uh, and I'd love to hear what you thought of. Um, say off the top of my head, uh, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? What did, uh... Well, that was uh, I I loved. This is now, and I'm getting 16, 17. I love Richard Burton. I thought he was the just impeccable. You know, I love his voice. For God's sake, let us sit on the ground and tell said stories. Deputine, you know, all murder. Now that that specific thing, and um, that was a remarkable cinematic film, particularly at the time. And to think that Mike Nichols had his first two films yeah. are Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? And the second one is The Graduate. Now that is just like an insane way to start. And I knew Mike Nichols. Mike Nichols was uh, uh, one of those guys though, that I knew for 20, 25 years. And every time I was at a dinner or some event with him, I would pinch myself and think, you're sitting with Mike Nichols. You know, <laughs> yeah. I was I was once in New York and I was at an art gallery opening. He said, um, "In the '90s, he said, where are you staying?'" And I said, "The Essex House." He said, "No, but really." <laughs> <laughs> and um, but he so he would he would tell lots of stories about making that movie. They were fascinating, you know. And um, he told a story about, you know, it was always planned to be in black and white and Elizabeth Taylor was 33 or something like a child she had you know they patted her and eye bag you know they had uh, specifically designed Haskell Wexler cinematographer for um, black and white and uh, about two weeks before principal photography Mike said Jack Warner phoned him and said Mike I think we do it in uh, color no, um, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> Mike had never made a movie. So he didn't have the clout of being Mike Nichols. He said, well, I, I don't know what to say, Mr. Warner. I, I, I have a 33-year-old actress. The sets are des everything's designed. Yeah, I know what you mean, but you'll figure it out. We'll do it in color. <laughs> so Mike said he phoned Elizabeth Taylor. And she went, oh, boy. Well, you know, let me get into it. And then about <laughs> 10 minutes later, Jack Warner said, we do it in black and white. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. I'm I'm fascinated too because as a as a kid, and you clearly had you were enjoying a lot of melodramas as as a child, as a younger one. Um, I'm I'm fascinated by a teenager who's loving Virginia Woolf, uh, even even with that. I, I just found as a kid, it took me again. It's one of those things. It took me many years. I had to have at least one bad relationship before I could fully dive into that film. But um, oh, I don't know. It just seemed. Um, it certainly look. It was the film of the year. I think it. She won. I mean, it was it was a big movie. It was talked about a great deal, and it seemed hip. That's that was date night. You go and see. <laughs> and it broke a, it broke a lot of barriers too. 
It did. The language. And they were the biggest stars in show business. That yeah. was when, I mean, that was, there are big stars, but there aren't stars, it seems, at that big, because they didn't appear on television. Right. No, that was the era where if you saw Burt Lancaster, it was only at the Oscars. Right. He wasn't on the Today Show, you know, promoting his new film. Uh, Except for Lucy. They would do Lucy. They would do Lucy. That's right. That would be the one. Yeah. Yeah. Milton Berle. <laughs> um, but yeah, or yeah, that's right. Liz and Dick, they did Lucy. But no, that's true. So. Anyway, but I just thought the writing was spectacular of that. That's amazing. Yeah, just the thought of the, the Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is a date night movie. Is, um, yeah, no, I know. I'm going to be wrestling with that for a while. Clute, another great date night movie. Clute? <laughs> uh, are you afraid? Can you, we, we've never talked about Clute on the show. It's one I'm, I'm, I'm hoping. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah. And can, can it's, it's one of those films that this happens where I'm, I'm left cold and I know I'm wrong. Does that make sense? No. Like there's, movies uh -huh. I don't, there's a lot of movies I don't like. I go, ah, it's crap. And there's movies that just don't do anything for me and I know I'm wrong. Oh, I mean, and that's Clute. The, the Clute, is, Clute is one of those. I'm, I'm looking for a way into Clute um, from someone who loves it. Are, are you a fan of that, Joe? Are you? It's, an, it's, it's really well shot. I mean, even if, you, even if you just want to look at the cinematics of it, you know, I mean, the story is, you know, it's a prostitute and a cop. It's, it's, a, it's not the most profound they're story. Also, they're also, it's not just any prostitute and cop. It's Donald Sutherland yeah. being dry and, and genius. And it's, and it's Jane Fonda looking as beautiful as she ever has. Oh, and also a great actress. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's it's Sutherland's so dry, and there's that kind of weird. Uh, but it's got a just, plot, you know. I mean, it's got yeah, a mystery. Doesn't have a plot. It just I, I need. You to just go back. don't like it, just like you didn't like Blow Up, which I now love. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't. I don't show. love, but I don't love Blow Up, so it's not weird. <laughs> well, you have not gone back to it since uh, I started proselytizing for it, but um, I, I am capable of going back and uh, learning from my mistakes. What a thing. <laughs> Um, uh, I, I also understand there's a, there's a very, very obscure film I'd like to give some time to on this that you, you are apparently a fan of that few of our listeners will have seen, but uh, apparently you, uh, you like this Godfather thing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't, uh, you know, don't ask me why. <laughs> he just picks the obscure ones. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Um, no, I just love to, it, it's, I'm, I'm so envious of, of, you know, I saw these movies as a kid and a lot of them I saw on TV and a lot of them I came to later through video and stuff. And I may even have seen Godfather. I think I did see it in a theater. My father took me to wildly inappropriate stuff. And, but you know, as like a 10 year old or something, I'm just sort of, you know, enjoying the violence and it's probably going on too long. So I, I missed that going as an adult to buy a ticket for the Godfather. Like what, what must've that been like? It was um, a miracle. I mean, I, I, again, was a massive Lando fan. And so you're already rooting for it to be a hit. Right. And Brando had been in um, not the, the top of his career for a few years now. So this was, you know, he's doing films like Burn and films that were lower budgeted now replacing Montgomery Clifton and Reflections in a Golden Eye. He was someone who, it, it wasn't 1962 anymore. 
And um, for him to now swoop back on that level uh, and win the Oscar, as we call it. And then Godfather 2 is as good or better. That's yeah. the miracle of that. You know, it's like um, uh, my, I, a couple of years ago, I had this cottage in Canada, beautiful cottage, and my son Oliver got married there. And it was an outdoor wedding, and you're worried about weather, and it's three hours north of Toronto on the lakes. And, and everything was perfect. And uh, then a couple of years uh, later, my son Henry said, I want to get married there too. And I phoned up Oliver and said, did, did, did your brother never see Greece too? Because <laughs> what are the odds that the weather will be perfect, that everything will be perfect, as it turned out it was. So we said, aha. Godfather. Godfather too, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's not a bad way to approach things though. Exactly. Um, yeah, and I, I, yeah, I've had an argument with a friend who, like, I think Godfather 2 is better. My friend maintains it's not possible since there's no Godfather 2 without Godfather 1. Which, uh, but, I mean, well, I then mean, there's Godfather 3. No, yes, there isn't. There is. No, there isn't. No, there isn't. <laughs> I, will, I will fight you on that. Um, but imagine making Godfather 2 in the conversation in the same year. I'm still boggled by that. That's just insane to me that, that you could have that amount of, of just kind of creative explosion happening in such a tiny space of time. Yeah. Um, but incredible stuff. Uh, it couldn't be made today. Yeah. Yeah, none of them. Or at least, I mean, not for those budgets and not... Unless there's a dragon that flies at some point. Uh, yes, or unless you could fit him into a Zoom meeting. <laughs> uh, well, Martin, I do, thank you so much for my uh, pleasure, guys. Joining, I'll us do right anything for Joe Dante, and now for my new best friend Josh Olson. <laughs> you know, it's really the sincerity that has gotten him this. Place. Thank you so much. <laughs> Not many people get that. <laughs> I, I, I was, was there ever, um, as long as we're here, I'm a fan. I've got you guys here. Uh, was there ever talk of a sequel? And, and if so, what did it look like? Sequel to? You guys did a movie together. Oh, to uh, In Space. Uh, uh, yeah, no, normally uh, there, you have to be space. a little bit in the profit margin to get that. Well, no, yeah, no, they, I they, 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 they like it. They like it when the picture doesn't get described as crash and burn when it opens. Yeah. Oh. Usually the crash and burns don't necessarily <laughs> result in the sequel. But but surely, surely, as it was being don't, made, don't call it surely. And, and also, there. No, I think the, the last scene sets up a sequel. Yeah, uh, kind of. The only uh, thing that uh, didn't help that setup was the lack of audience for the first one. <sighs> well, I that's so. Yeah, I've I've had this experience with Joe several times because um, uh, you know I, I I saw these films in theaters when they came out, and you know they were packed. The audience loved them. No, and no, in no. In my no, mind, it, there are hits because I. It, it, interspace interesting. For example, it was number one in England. You know, right? But um, I, I was doing an interview. I don't know, three years ago or something for um, uh, the New Yorker, and the guy's interviewing me about thirty-four, and he's doing a long piece on me, and then we bring up interspace, and I allude to the fact that it wasn't a financial success. And he could not believe it. In his world, yeah. up, watching it on television, yeah. this was Back to the Future. He had yeah. no concept. Which is good. 
which is good. And Dennis, uh, Dennis Quaid has said that of all the films he's made, and he's made over 3,000, uh, yeah, um, yeah. that the, the film that a- people ask him most about is Inner Space. Really? Yeah. So you can now, if he did that. that in a podcast with Joe and me, he could have been lying. Yeah, <laughs> we're stretching the truth at least. Yeah. Well, anyway, guys, thank you so much. I thank love you. It. Yes, it was lovely thank talking to you. Thank you very much. By the way, you need to know you are our one hundredth guest. So, and you say there's cash involved? I really did not. No. Sorry, you're breaking up. He's breaking <laughs> prestige. up. We've lost. Yeah. Prestige involved. Prestige and fame. Oh, headed your way when this drops next week. What I need now. Yes. All right. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Bye, bye. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the Movies That Made Me. Stay safe out there, folks. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.